0: Amen. Holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much, worship team, for serving us this morning by leading us in worshiping in song. And now we're going to continue in worship by turning with our Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter six. Luke chapter six. We're going to be in verses twenty-seven through thirty-six. This morning, kids, you're dismissed ahead to, to your classrooms up through fifth grade. If you're staying in here and you have a Bible, please turn with me to Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. It is week three now of Mission Month, and Paulette Hoover wished me a happy Mission Month when I came in. So good job. She's the only one so far. Yeah, thank you. Good job, Paulette. This is the month we're talking about how we're called to live out our mission as a church to make Christ known from our neighbors to the nations. Week 1 we talked about making Christ known accurately, right? We don't want to make Christ known in a way that is, bears false witness to who he is. We'll do more harm than good. And so the way we do that is by focusing on our doctrine and focusing on our holiness, on our lives. We don't want to get either of those wrong. And so we talked about discipleship, and we announced the new Foundation's Discipleship Hour. And then last week we talked about evangelism, about the fact that everyone has a story. We're called to share our story. We said the prayer of an evangelist is, God, open a door. Open a door for me to share your word. open my mouth. To speak it and then open their hearts. Remember it's it's God's work to change hearts, but he uses us for whatever reason that's how he does it, is he uses us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I issued a challenge to you. It should have gone out into each of your inboxes, uh, a worksheet uh, for you to fill out your testimony. And we said there's two kinds of testimonies. You can write a testimony about how you were saved or a testimony about how, I'm struggling with that word this morning, a testimony about how God has changed you in one way or another. And I just challenge you to write out your story, two, three things, write out your story, pray over it, ask the Lord to use it, and then if God does use it, to just let us know how uh, God used it and, to, and respond and let me know what God has done. So I want to just encourage you if, you, if you haven't done that yet, it's okay. Some of you are avoiding eye contact with me. I understand it's okay if you haven't done it yet, but you, you, uh, I just want to encourage you to do that. And just as a reminder, we all have a story. God has done mighty work. And just I want to say thank you once again to the people who shared their testimonies on the video. Uh, just a powerful reminder that God has... Uh, given every single one of us a story uh, if we're following him. I want to encourage you to share that story. This week we're talking about what does it mean to love our neighbors and I'm, I'm kind of conflicted. There's two things. I'm excited to dive into this passage, and, and also the Lord has just been like hammering me with conviction this week. And so I'm also a little bit like, okay, here we go. We're all going to maybe feel it a little bit together. But that's what God's word is supposed to do. It's a good thing. It sharpens us. It builds us up. And so let's pray and ask for the Lord's help to prepare our hearts to receive his word this morning. Please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, God, we, uh, we come before you this morning, having just sung of your holiness, of your goodness, of your love. All my life, you have been faithful, God, whether I could see it or not, whether I was being faithful or not. You are faithful, God. We praise you. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you use it to encourage convict us of sin and to equip us and build us up and to tell us more about you, God, and tell us more about who you are and what you're like and how we're called to live. So help us to, by an encounter with your word this morning, help us to have two things. God, help us have a greater understanding of who you are and help us to have a greater understanding of how you call us to live to your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, picking up in the middle of what has been called by some commentators as the Sermon on the Plain. You maybe have heard of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. This is not the Sermon on the Mount. It's different, but it is a lot of the same themes that Jesus shared in the Sermon on the Mount. Some people have called this the Sermon on the Plain. Where we pick up this morning... Starting in verse 27, Jesus is addressing all of his followers, and so what we're going to read his words are, if you're a follower of Jesus, they are addressed to you. He's teaching them about what it means to love, and he uses a very particular uh, Greek word when he talks about love, which you see is the title of their sermon, which is agape there's different words that are used for love. There are different Greek words that are used for love. And and sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes when we read the New Testament, they can have a very particular meaning based on which word is used. So you've heard the word eros before, maybe, as, as describing like a romantic love. Or phileo, which is a word that describes a brotherly love. You hear the root of the city, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. But the word that Jesus uses here describes a different kind of love altogether. The love that we're talking about this morning is a love that does not come naturally to any one of us. This is a love that we have to fight for in our hearts. It's a love that you can't fall into. You can't fall into agape love. You can certainly fall into eros love or filial love. Those are kind of just loves that you can kind of naturally fall into, but agape love is a different love altogether. Agape is a love that is independent of its object. What does that mean? It's a love that doesn't change. The way that you portray that love, that you demonstrate that love, doesn't change based on the actions or the response of the recipient of that love. It stays the same. Now, we're not going to talk about marriage this morning. We're talking more about uh, what does it mean for us as a church to love our neighbors. But also, as we're, think- as we're preaching here this morning, you can be thinking about the way that you demonstrate love in your marriage in the same way. I was just uh, blessed to uh, take part in Grace Marriage uh, yesterday, and uh, was challenged in this, challenged in the way that uh, how am I loving my spouse? Am I, am I waiting for certain characteristics to happen before I uh, show a selfless love, or am I just loving her regardless of, of how she receives it, and vice versa? And let me just say it's much more difficult for her uh, and me than me for her. But I just want you to be thinking about that's not the, the theme of our sermon this morning, but it is something that you can be thinking about. How am I demonstrating a kind of selfless love? to my spouse or to somebody else. Maybe that can be difficult at times to love. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a love that doesn't change based on how it's treated. Now, like I said, sometimes in the New Testament, th- these words are used interchangeably, the different words for love. So there's a Time that we can actually make too big of a deal about the word that is used in a particular instance. You don't need to know the Greek word behind the word love when you're reading in the New Testament to understand it. You can tell usually by the context. But but the love that we're talking about this morning is so unique. It's so crazy. It's so countercultural. It's so at times, honestly, as I was reading and studying this week, I thought this is a little bit irresponsible. And so I wanted to use the Greek word in the sermon this morning just to kind of help us understand that this is a totally different kind of love, a totally, totally different kind of love. That said, let's take a look at our passage here, starting in verse 27 to see what Jesus says about the way we're called to love. This is what he says, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, to any follower of Jesus, he says, love your enemies do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who abuse you. The NIV says mistreat you. We're going to see three things in our passage this morning about how we're called to live this out. Here's the first Agape love isn't reasonable. It's not reasonable. If you're looking at these verses with me, you'll see four commands. There's four actions that we're called to do in these verses. What are they? Love, do good, bless, and pray. Right? Love, do good, bless, and pray. These are pretty basic commands. These are not offensive commands in and of themselves. Your mom probably bought that sign from Hobby Lobby and has it hanging up in her house. Love, do good, bless, and pray, right? So these are things that we would just say, yeah, of course, that's what all people are supposed to do. It's only when we look at the object of these commands that they go from kind of being, yeah, la-di-da, to, like, almost offensive. Who are you called to love? Your enemies. Who are you called to do good to? Those who hate you. Who are you called to bless? Those who curse you. The literal translation of blesses. speak good words to. The literal translation of curse is to speak evil upon. So when someone is speaking evil upon you, you are called to speak good words to them. Who are you supposed to pray for? Those who mistreat you. And these are all active verbs, right? Which means it's, it's an ongoing thing. Keep on loving your enemies. Keep on doing good to those who hate you. Keep on blessing those who are continuing to curse you. Keep on praying for those who mistreat you. It doesn't say do good to those who used to hate you, but eventually they came around. That makes more sense, right? You say, well, yeah, if somebody used to hate you, and then they kind of realized that that was wrong, you should forgive them, and you should do good to them. No, that's not what it's saying. Keep on doing good to those who hate you right now. Think of somebody who hates you. Some of you might have somebody who's just, boom, that didn't take much thinking to come to mind. You know, Jesus says, do good to that person. I don't know about you, but as I read this, I wanted to be like, seriously, Jesus? It doesn't make sense. It's not reasonable. This isn't how people live. And you know, this is like the most mundane of all the things that Jesus says. It doesn't stop there. He keeps going. Verse 29. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one... Listen to this. And from one who takes away your goods... Do not demand them back. The golden rule, verse 31, As you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. Not only is agape love unreasonable, it's also not realistic. It's not realistic. Now Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, says, you may have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And we've heard that so much. Maybe if you've grown up in the church, you've heard that so much that you kind of think to yourself, oh yeah, eye for an eye, that's wrong. Tooth for a tooth, that's wrong. Eye for an eye makes perfect sense. Do you not want to live in a society where people are disincentivized to remove your eyeball? Where somebody might receive some consequences for going around with the pliers and yoinking out your tooth, right? Yes? We want to live in a society like that. We don't want to live somewhere where uh, there's no consequences for these things. And not only that, but eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth is actually like a very reasonable and almost progressive at the time system of justice. Because what it's saying is the punishment should fit the crime. That makes sense. Again, we want to live in a society like that, where if somebody does commit a crime, what they have to do, the sentence that they have to serve is, uh, goes right along with the crime that they committed. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is very realistic. It makes sense. It's reasonable. That's how we kind of want our society to go. It's a good system. But Jesus says, Something that's not even close to that. It says if someone comes up and wallops you in the face, Will Smith style, what should you do? You turn the other cheek. What? If someone steals your coat, what should you do? Give them your shirt. If someone tries to coerce you into giving something, just give it to them. And if someone, this is the craziest one, I think if someone takes something from you, just let them have it. Excuse me? This is not a realistic way for us to operate as a society. If we did try to like enact this system of justice as a whole, we would devolve into anarchy real quick, right? So what is Jesus saying here? What's he talking about? How are we supposed to live this way? I want to make, first of all, before we talk about what he's saying, I want to make one thing very clear, which is that Jesus is not talking about people like if they're in an abusive situation, like, remaining in that situation there have been people over the years who have twisted this passage to uh, coerce abuse victims to stay in that situation let me just say that's evil and that's wrong and that's not at all what Jesus is talking about and I just I pray this isn't the case but if you are in a physically or emotionally abusive situation you should get out of that situation and the church is here to help you do whatever you need to to get out of that situation so I want to make that clear that's not what Jesus is Talking about here, but what is he talking about? Well, I think this is what it is. I think he's calling us to think about ourselves and what we have just in a way that's just so radically different from the way the world thinks about these things. See, when you respond differently to being insulted or taken advantage of, you have an opportunity to show what's happened in your heart as a follower of jesus when god is a god of justice right if you truly believe that he's just that's not my job to enact justice in every situation because god's ultimately going to take care of it you can be freed from that in any relationship where something unjust has been has happened to you you can be freed from trying to enact that kind of justice from the other person say that's god's job if they want to take my coat that's wrong, that's a sin, but that's, between, that's not a sin against me. Ultimately, that's a sin against the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord Almighty. And so when, on an individual basis, I think we should be so in love with Jesus that we see everything that happens to us, everything that's a part of our lives, including being taken advantage of, as an opportunity to show the love of Jesus. How radical is that? When I'm taken advantage of, my first thought is not, how can I use this situation to glorify God? Right? How can I get that person back? Jesus is saying everything, including being exploited and taken advantage of and insulted and, and, and stolen from at times. Even those can be opportunities to bring glory to God. So I don't think Jesus is saying, throw open your garage door and put up a sign that says free stuff, come and take it. But he is calling us to think of ourselves and our lives and even our possessions differently. And maybe this morning you just need to hear that you can just be free from the burden of bringing about justice. That's God's job. Let him do that. This is so different than the world. So different than the world. The world doesn't think about things this way at all. In fact, we're going to see that in verse 32. Look there with me. It says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. When you talk about sinners, it just means the world, generally. If you love those who love you, <laughs> the world does that. Do good to those who do good to you, the world does that. You lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and give back the same amount. Anyone can love people who love them. That's just kind of the way the world works. I heard a pastor this week say, say uh, he said, even the mafia lives this way. The mafia will do good to you as long as you do good to them they'll certainly lend to you as long as you pay him back, right? And if you don't, right? Be careful. The point is this is just kind of the rational way to live. This is the American ethos. You do good to me, I'll do good by you. You need something from me and I know you'll pay me back, sure I'll lend it to you. That's normal. But what Jesus is calling for is not normal. It's not rational. Don't just do good to those who do good to you, do good to those who are actively trying to harm you, Jesus said. Don't just lend money to the people who pay you back, lend money to the people who won't pay you back. Like I said earlier, it's not calling for a lawless society where no one's able to defend themselves from danger. It's not a sin to have a security system in your home or, if you're cheap, a security system sticker on your door. But what this passage is doing is calling us to search our hearts to see if we really are living and loving others in a way that's just any different from the way the world lives. And I just wonder, could somebody look at your life and say the way that they love people is just so radically different from anything else you see in the world? Or would they say, yeah, that person's good to you if you're good to them, but if you cross them, watch out. And i got to be honest with you, like I said, the Lord's just been hammering me with conviction this week, and uh, I was really frustrated with myself. I'm just waiting for the time where I can give a sermon illustration where I've done the right thing, but I failed once again in a test that the Lord gave me just last week. It's last Saturday. We were out working in the yard. We have, behind our house, we live just down the street here, behind our house on the other side of the alley, there's this like, there's so a house and then just a dilapidated shed behind it, and then there's like this trailer that's, like, falling apart. It used to be a pop-up trailer, and now it's not popped up anymore. And, it's, uh, and we have these people, so they don't live in the house, but we have these people who just kind of come and go from this shed. And, like, in the wintertime, we pretty much don't see them at all. And then when summer, spring, summer rolls around, they come back, and um, they uh, different people all the time. Sometimes they spend the night, sometimes they don't, Some, and they're coming in. This, the shed itself is just, like, full of junk, and then there's all this junk right outside. And uh, I'm not going to make any accusations about what goes on in this shed, but it is just about as sketchy as it gets. Um, about I don't remember how, how long ago it was, but I was coming home from a Tuesday morning Bible study one time. And uh, we meet at 6, and then I was, so I was home at 7 o'clock. And when I got home, there was a cop car with its lights on right outside of my house. And there was kind of this small uh, group of people gathered around, and this this lady was talking, and apparently she had been walking past the this shed, and she's a neighbor that lives a few blocks down, and she had found just a bunch of her stuff that had been stolen from her. It was just sitting in front of these people, and then there were other neighbors that kind of gathered around, and they had then said, well, we had stuff stolen from us too, and they found these things in front of our this shed, and so they'd been stealing from people, and, and, not, and so needless to say, we were locking our doors at night, and uh, and uh, But not only that, it's like we'll be outside in our yard, and they'll just be, like, burning things. So just, like, like, not just normal things to burn, like plastic appliances and just, like, fill our yard with black, billowing smoke. And we'll have to go inside. And we're not um, particularly fond of these people. Like, I just have to be honest. It's been a challenge for us. And that's not to mention some of the other things that I'm not going to mention here in a public setting like a sermon. So, needless to say, we struggle big time with these people who wander in and out of the shed. And we kind of keep tabs on them, like, oh, shed people are back. And um, <laughs> that's, that's just what happens in the Napster house. So, like, you know, there they are again, you know. And, and uh, we really struggle. And so, last Saturday, we were out in front of, uh, we were out in the backyard. And I've, we've never spoken to any of them. And it's like I said, it's always different people. And, and one of them, I noticed he's like kind of fiddling with a grill and then he was walking down the, the alley, and he turns to me and says something. I didn't hear him. I said, excuse me? He said, do you know where any oak trees are? I said, what? <laughs> and he said, uh, well, I, I, I let my charcoal burn out. I just didn't know if you knew where any oak trees were. I don't, and I don't know what his plan was. They're like, I don't know. <laughs> Is he going to cut down a tree? I don't know. But in that moment, this little voice popped into the back of my head. and said, you should maybe give him some charcoal. He ran out of charcoal. And as soon as that, mo- that voice popped into my head, I shoved it out immediately. And I said, sorry, sorry, man, I don't know where any oak, oak trees are <laughs> off the top of my head. And, and, he, and he moved on. And he's walking away, and I'm kind of rationalizing it. And I just, just my heart, I didn't feel bad about it at all. I didn't. Thinking, if I offer him charcoal now, who knows what other stuff he's going to be coming over. And and asking for, number one. Number two, I'm gonna have to show him where the charcoal is and, and it's, who's to say that he's not just gonna come steal it when he needs it the next time. And number three, these people have made life kinda miserable for us and for our neighbors and I just didn't really wanna start a relationship with them, if I'm honest. And I felt okay about all of that, truly, until I read this passage. Church, should've given him some charcoal. Seriously. And if I caught him stealing charcoal later on, I should have just let him have it. Because that's the kind of love we're called to. It's unreasonable. It's unrealistic. It's irrational. In the world's eyes, of course I wasn't going to help that guy out. He'd been stealing from people. But the kind of love that we're called to is unreasonable and unrealistic and irrational. Do you know why? Because that's exactly how God loves you. Verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. The Most High is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. You know who the ungrateful and the evil are? You and me, before we knew Jesus. Before he took your heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh. Before he breathed life into your dry bones. He was kind to you, even though you couldn't have cared less. He was gracious and merciful to you, even when you were living in complete opposition to him. John 3.16, a verse that's familiar, hopefully, tells us about the nature of this love. Let's break, we're going to break it down here as we close this morning. We're going to get a little grammatical. For God so loved the world. Who's the subject of that sentence? Say it out loud. God. What's the verb? What's the, what's the verb? What did God do? Loved. And who's the object? The world, a sinful world, rebellion to him. Now what did his love drive him to do? How much he loved the world so much that God, what, gave, what, his son. That's the kind of unreasonable, unrealistic, irrational love that God shows towards us. God so loved the world that he gave his son. And when I wouldn't give my neighbor, who I'm sure doesn't know Jesus, a couple of hunks of charcoal, How does that, what does that demonstrate about my love toward my neighbor? How much should we love our neighbors because of the love that we've been given in Christ? And this is why we cannot, as a church, demonstrate the kind of love of neighbors that we're called to until we have an understanding of the gospel of the love that's been demonstrated to us in Christ. You can do all sorts of loving things for all sorts of people without understanding the gospel, for sure. But this true love, this selfless love, this unreasonable love, this agape love flows from a heart that recognizes just how much you've been given, even though you didn't do anything to deserve it. And if you've been given everything in Christ, then who can take away anything from you? that's worth anything compared to that take my stuff i got jesus i'm his and he's mine and nobody's going to snatch me out of his hand you need something i'll lend it to you can't pay me back that's okay you need to steal my cloak or take my tunic too you're going to slap me in the face i'm going to turn the other cheek because we've been given a love in Christ. We've given a treasure in Christ. And praise the Lord for that. And we want to be the kind of church that is so in love with Jesus that we can't help but demonstrate that love to our neighbors, to the community in which we live, and to the nations, to those who have never heard. We want to demonstrate selfless love, agape love. And we can't do that if we don't first have a proper understanding of the gospel and how we've been loved by God. In Christ. And that's why we want to be gospel centered in everything that we do. The love that we've been given is the love that we're called to give. And to that end, we have an incredible team of people who've been working hard to help equip our church, to love our neighbors like we've been called to, the neighbors team. David Henry is the head of the neighbors team, and he's going to come up and he's going to talk right now to us for a little bit about kind of what they've been up to and the direction that uh, we're hoping to go as a neighbors team as we are called to demonstrate this love uh, to those who God has placed us in contact with. So please uh, welcome up David Henry.
1: morning guys. So like Mike said, my name is David Henry. Um, I'm representing the neighbors team this week for mission month. Um, So there's a slide up. So these are our lovely mugs, I guess. Um, So these are uh, the people that have uh, been meeting for the last several years. Um, So I'm up here because I tried to get Christian to do it and she turns pale at the mention of a microphone. So you're stuck with me. Um, So the last several weeks we've been talking about a mission. Um, We've talked about discipleship and the plans to make that a part of our church's DNA. Um, Last week, Pastor Mike challenged you to write down your story and think about sharing it. Um, At the end of last week's service, we heard testimonies um, for those that you guys sit with, do ministry with, do life with. Um, And if that didn't you know, light a little bit of a fire inside of you, then hey, come chat with me because maybe we need to talk about some things. Uh, but today, uh, my job is to share uh, the mission that the Neighbors team has um, come up with. Um, so this is kind of the legs to what Pastor Mike is talking about. Um, so in order to do that, we're going to kind of look back a little bit and look forward to the future. So first part is just kind of the, some of the practical ways that Rockberry has uh, Started investing in the community a little bit, um, so you can see up there that um, over the last year we've given about ten thousand um, dollars to cover things like rent and utilities. Mostly, there's some um, gas and the hotel stay and different things, um, but we've had we've been able to say yes to thirty-five different requests, um, and so this is important because these are these are families. Um, Their utilities have stayed on, Um, their house has been warm, Um, their water has stayed on, they've been able to stay in the place that they live and haven't had to find a new place to live. Um, Next, um, these are just some of the things that we give to every month. Um, The master's basket, that's the food pantry, Um, preserve marriage, um, Team Blast we started supporting last year and then Second Blessings as well. Um, We've also done several other things in the community over the last several years. Um, that a lot of you have participated in. We've had Easter events. We've done a car show. Um, we've given away milk at Needler's, had a movie night, cleared a playground with weeds that were literally up to here. Um, we tried a community garden, and we've had Christmas outreach as well. Um, and all those things are great. Um, but we want to be intentional about what we do. Um, so we've been burdened as a group of how do we do ministry, not these walls here. It's great the things that we do here, but how can we go out and be better at that? Um, So during the strategic planning, um, we heard strategic a lot over the last several months. So for me, that just says we're going to take something that seems really complicated sometimes and make it really simple so that we can actually go somewhere and do something. Um, So this is how we want to look at doing ministry in Tipton. And so you can see like um, Participating in community events, meeting needs. So that's you know being at the pork festival and handing out water. Um, that we care about you guys that we're here. Um, meeting needs is benevolence that you've already seen. That hey we we love you and we want to help you. Um, but the thing that we really want to focus on is above that dotted line. Um, that bridge events would be are things that people are actually able to hear the gospel, um, where it's intentional. The event is built around the fact that somebody has a chance to know Jesus for the first time. Um, And at the very top, the most important thing kind of leading the way is every one of you um, being willing to share your story. So, um, the next slide. Yes, okay, the next slide is just where some of those things have fallen. Um, So we're really good at the things below that line. Um, They're not hard to do. It's not hard to... um, Give away milk, it's not, um, it's not super difficult to have a movie night. Those things are important, but we want to be, like I said, really intentional about the things that are above that line. All right, so, the simple part, right? The, the strategy. So we have two things that we want to do. Um, so the first part is we've talked a lot about we really want you to practice, put it into practice of your life of being willing to share how Jesus has changed you. Um, we want this to be so common that when we meet for small groups that we, if we, if some of you get here early for church, that's not me, um, that you get here early for church that you would have people that you're sharing your victories with, um, I guess if you're like Pastor Mike, a lot of your failures, (laughs) um, but, but it would be such a rhythm that we would be encouraged and challenged by one another, how that we have seen God move, um, so we want to help you with that. So we have some practical ways we're going to do that. So um, one is we're probably going to start sharing those things more frequently up here as part of the service. Um, the other is mirroring the um, nation's wall. We're going to have a map of Tipton and some of the surrounding areas. Um, and We want you guys to take, we're going to have a pens. And we want you to put pens every time that you're able to share the gospel in one, one way or another. Um, this should do a lot of things This should bring us joy right? God's word is going out um, it should also be convicting because um, all of us have chances to put pens up on that board and if we're not that sh- we need to be convicted by that because we've all been commissioned the same way to make disciples of all people um, and I just I think how cool would it be that one of those pens turns into a person in a seat um, maybe not here Maybe somebody out or somewhere else. Um, but the, somebody maybe comes here and you're able to show them, hey, this was your pen. Um, what joy that would bring somebody to say, hey, I belonged here before I even knew it. Um, all right, so that's, that's the first thing. Um, and then we also we are going to have some resources coming up in the next couple weeks to help equip you a little bit better so you feel confident um, in sharing your faith. Um, so Mike's already given you the first step, so you have a template, so work on that. That's your, that's your first, ch- first charge. Um, also, um, for the second thing, um, so we've kind of mentioned country living over the last several months, last several years. Um, the neighbors team, we really think that that is somewhere that we need to focus on. Um, so this all started about two and a half years ago with a pack of diapers. Um, Damien and Amanda Mendenhall uh, volunteered to take the pack of diapers and something kind of weird happened. Um, they showed up at one house and then their car was surrounded by like a dozen kids. Um, the best way they could describe it is um, like an amazing race if you ever watched it, people go to a foreign country and they're doing an activity and all of a sudden they're swarmed by a bunch of people. Um, and that's kind of how it started. And so. We've done things like we've cleared a playground. We've played games over there. We've done crafts. Um, more recently, we've participated. We did the Easter event where about 40 kids were able to hear the gospel twice in an hour. Um, now there was a story that was read, and then there was a craft, and the gospel was even the craft. Um, it was simple, but it was on purpose, and those are the kind of things that we want to do. Um, we're so convinced that this is important that we want to make a habit out of habit of being there Um, so our prayer is that we need three or four people from our body that feel um, maybe a little bit of a weight right now stirring inside of them to say you know i'm going to take responsibility for that place and i'm going to lead the mission for country living Um, so just like just like rhema hopefully um, in the next year is going to be commissioned to go somewhere in the world that maybe has never heard the name of Jesus um, a lot of us are never going to go thousands of miles away um, but that doesn't change that doesn't change what we're called to do and so for some of you your commission needs to be a half a mile that direction um, we don't really know what that looks like this is kind of an, a new idea for us and so if you're feeling that weight right now don't ignore it um, so God is already working in something and so you get to be a part of that Um, so if you need to, if you need to relieve that weight a little bit, you can come find me after church. So our hope is that we can mirror this moving forward, that we can take the group of us that you saw pictured, can start to look for other places in our community to do the same exact thing. Um, that, you know, if we look at Tipton 10 years from now, that we can see that replicated, um, that we have taken responsibility for the place we've been planted. So I just want to remind you of a few things Um, before I remind you. Does that mean we're going to stop doing ministry kind of like we've done it before? No, it doesn't mean that. Um, It just means that we're going to do some things on purpose a little bit differently than we've done before. So as we close, so we've been all commissioned by Jesus to make disciples. Each one of us has a gift that we can share with the world that we've been saved. So whether whether you've been saved from addictions, you've been saved from the chains of fear and anxiety, saved from loneliness, saved from striving but never measuring up, you have a story that the world needs to hear. It says in Romans that our lives were ruined and be in misery without Jesus. And so the world is... Begging to hear that there's hope. So, as you go out, remember, pray that God would open a door, that He'd open your mouth, and that you'd allow Him to do the work. Thanks.